let's read this. This is Deuteronomy chapter 6. We're reading all of it from 4 through 12. If you would read with me. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them upon your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. And when the Lord your God brings you into the land that he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give you with great and good cities that you did not build, houses full of all good things you did not fill, cisterns that you did not dig, vineyards and olive trees that you did not plant. And when you eat and are full, then take care, lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. These are the very words of God. You can be seated, please. You'll hear a lot about this being a foundational passage in the life of this community. And also, it's important in this community because it was important to Yeshua Messiah, Jesus. And we have it on pretty good evidence. If you've not heard this, I'm telling you today. Jesus said this, Shema. He knew these words. He said it twice, probably three times, maybe more daily. It was part of the custom based on this passage to speak this out as you rose, to speak it as you walked along through your day, midday, and to speak it to remember that as you lay down. And part of the the speaking out, the oral speaking out of something, that can sometimes become kind of like rote, dead rote, you're just repeating, memorizing verses, which is good. But the picture that I have of Jesus saying these words This is not just about him speaking and declaring truth. I think it is that. But I think it's also about him remembering what his father sent him to do. That it's a memory of what dad had said all along. Is that I brought you out of Egypt. I rescued you. I brought you into this good land. And when you come into the good land, remember that it's me who brought you. And so this... Shema, this foundational passage is about connecting us to the heart of an eternal God. And we're going to talk about that connection point this morning. Because we live in a very temporal reality. Death, physical death happens all the time. Michael is grieving that this weekend. But we're called as temporal, earthly Creatures, just the real naked truth of our biology. Uh, That was a weird sentence. Um, The reality of us is that we're earthly. We die. Our bodies decay. But we have a hope in something that's beyond that. And it is one of the craziest, if not the craziest claims of Christianity. Paul says that if Jesus wasn't actually resurrected, we are the most pitied people on the face of the planet. If the reality of the eternal is not true, then we are not only wasting our time, we should, we should be ashamed, maybe. 
But it is true. But it can't just be true here as a concept we're hoping in maybe one day. There's a reality of the kingdom of heaven that's coming to earth now. And that we can, and we believe this foundationally here, that we can experience heaven now. The kingdom of heaven has come and is coming. It's the here but not yet. We hold those things in tension. Heaven exists. There is an eternity. And we still die. What's the deal, God? Well, it's here. But it's not yet. There's more coming. But we live in the fullness now. And it kind of gets difficult if we talk about this. Because I don't want to just say, oh, this is my good theology of there's an everlasting life in John 3.16. And... And, you know, forget John 3, 17 and 18, which I love. The trad 3, 17 and 18 is the tragedy, basically. The tragedy of this world is that light has come into the darkness, but the darkness has loved it more than the light. But those who walk in the light come into the light that they may be clearly seen that what they do, they do in God. God so loved the world precedes that. And so... Light comes into darkness. Heaven comes into earth. The eternal comes into the temporal. And stuff happens. Stuff. Miracles. Resurrections. Hearts being turned. Trust being placed in in God where it wasn't. Peace in your home where it had been chaotic. All these things. Heaven intersecting earth. And I'd like to give a little bit of language this morning about that reality. Because sometimes it's difficult to talk about. And I think that the New Testament gives us some terms that I think are helpful and they're Greek terms. So don't don't be afraid uh, of the Greek words, too. But the Greek has a couple of different terms for time that get used in the New Testament. And one of them is this word chronos, which if you don't want to spit on your spouse, you can just say chronos. Uh, If we can say blanco here, we can say chronos. And. I had a hard time with that when I moved here. I'm trying to be, you know, it's Blanco. And, but all the, anyway, just one of the, the quirky things about San Antonio. But Kronos, and Kronos is where we get our word chronological. And we're the most familiar with Kronos. We know we have timelines. We have to do timelines in school. We get up, then we go here and we do this. And that's part of our lives. Anyone that lives outside of Kronos is desperately unorganized and needs a personal assistant. I know some people like that. Uh, we need chronological time. If you rage against the Kronos, you won't be effective uh, and productive. We live embedded in a chronological reality. And I don't think that's bad. Although I do make it bad frequently. Uh, I have a bit of a frantic mind and I'm always telling my kids... Hurry up. We got to go. We got to get in the car. And and I have five, four and three. And and I'm, I'm kind of spreading my chronological frantic experience onto them because they're talking about how quickly we have to move places now. And um, one of the downsides to chronology is that we can get caught in it. And that we can see the world only in those terms. Is that we have to do this, we have to do this and do this and get this here and go here. And we get a lot of stuff done and we leave in the wake, you know, kids that were having fun on the carpet and then are now upset in the car because I fussed it or hypothetically someone fussed at them uh, on the way out. My frantic chronological stuff 
hurt their eternal hearts. Does that make sense? No one else does that here, I'm sure. But um, sometimes we can trade our eternal perspective to try and get stuff done. And I'm jumping ahead to the end of the message. Um, But that's chronos, and it's important. And please don't hear me advocating stepping outside of chronos. One, you can't do it. Two, it's unhealthy. But there's another word for time, and it gets translated a couple of places in the New Testament as fullness of time. When in the fullness of time. It's kind of like pregnant time. It's the word or um, kairos. And pregnant time, I heard it explained this one way. I thought it was a pretty good explanation. Uh, although we never experienced this. Um, we had three. Well, I didn't. I was Stephanie, my wife. Hi. Uh, had three C-sections. Uh, but the, the, the chronos or the kairos time is kind of like the pregnant time of, you know, the wife rolls over in bed and says, it's time. And the husband says, what do you mean? Your due date's not for two more weeks. Like, no, it's time. The due date, the chronological time, doesn't get to dictate to the pregnant body when it's time. It's time. Time has come. The fullness has come. And now the fullness, literally, in this picture, intersects the temporal, the chronos. And something wonderful happens and painful. A couple of the moments in Scripture where this kairos word is used is when Jesus, in Matthew 28, 18, he's talking about going into the city, preparing a place, and how he's going to do Passover. And he says that, um, my time is at hand. I have eagerly yearned to eat Passover with you. My time. Not, hey, it's you know Thursday night. We need to start thinking about preparing for Friday morning. Not chronos time, but kairos. That the fullness of time has come. And it's fun that we get to celebrate um, Passover meal this morning, the communion, because this is a memory of a moment where there was fullness. And the thing about Kairos moments is that they become touchstones or altars or things that we remember. And that those moments in time this morning in about, I don't know, X amount of minutes... I don't want to tell you because I don't want you to fall asleep. But in a little while, we're going to have a chronological moment where we're going to remember a Kairos moment from the days of Jesus. And that fullness is going to intersect us again here today in another moment of fullness. Does that make sense? These are pictures from the New Testament, but they're also experiences that I have. Like I've had a handful of really wonderful Kairos moments And one of the things that's so great about the Kairos moments is that I get to experience them in chronology. I get to actually live and breathe and smell and see and experience coming and the middle and the end of the thing and experience all of that. So I would like to give you um, a really good, clear picture of a Kairos moment. And I promise you it's not just to brag about what I got to do on June 15th last year. So watch this.
thank you. Go Spurs, go. 23 more days, then Dallas gets to watch us put our rings on. Uh, opening day. Um, but I showed you that. I mean, I could have showed you the cool ESPN video, and you can download the HD video on iTunes on your phones if you want to. But I took that with my phone. I was there. That moment was a moment when I got to experience. We watched on the clock. The clock ticked down. LeBron had already been sitting for like 10 minutes. Uh, And the time ticked off the clock. And when the Kronos came to an end, the Kairos moment happened. The fullness, 18,000 people, my buddy Chris. We got to, Stephanie, I know maybe some of you all here, but we got to experience that live. We got to experience the fullness of time. And I'll get off the sports metaphor here uh, in case you don't like basketball. But there's always baseball and golf. It's not my, not my Kairos cup of tea, but soccer. But when this moment happens, I remember that. And it's not just, oh, yeah, we're better than everyone else. It's a memory of a season, a memory of times with my wife, times with my friends, a memory of watching players, thinking, hoping, being frustrated in the first round against Dallas, coming back. Like that moment holds for me a memory. And it's something that, no matter what happens this year, can't be taken from me because I'm holding that. And there's another component to what was going on there with the Spurs game five, besides a dynasty. And it's something called the telos. And telos is a word that gets used in the New Testament quite a bit. It, it translates as end or a better translation is goal. Aristotle uses that word in his book, the politics a lot. And one of the things he says is that the nature, the essential qualities of something, like if you're trying to figure out what is the essence of a thing, he says the nature, the essence of a thing is its telos, its end. If you're trying to find out who someone is, you can't look at what they're doing. You have to figure out what their goal is. What's their destiny? Maybe we can use that word. So for us, if that's true, I think that's a biblical picture. What makes us really good? Like, how do we know who we really are? Well, I know what you do, and I know what your kids' names are, and I can look at all the how you spend your time, so I know who you are. Well, no, our essence isn't our chronos. Our essence is our telos. What makes us good? We've been made to live forever with God. We've been made to connect with the heavens and the earth in the fullness of who God is. That's our telos. That's our destiny. Does that make sense? Now, this is the big telos. There was a telos that happened in that moment. And this is what, this is what the kairos moments are. The fullness is when the telos intersects the chronos, a kairos moment happens. When the goal of the event intersects the chronology of your life, then there's a fullness in a moment that can never be taken away. That maybe comes and goes chronologically, but that's there. It's a memory. So what's the telos of the Spurs season? Winning the title, right? No one starts a basketball season hoping to make the playoffs unless you're the Lakers. Um, If you're the Spurs, you're hoping to win the title. That's the goal, right? Now, there's bigger goals You know, 
Maybe the goal of the players is to win the title. Maybe the goal of Pop is just to make it to retirement. Maybe the goal of management is to build a tenure. Like there's lots of goals. But when those goals intersect the moment, it's this fullness. And one of the great moments of telos gets talked about in 1 Corinthians 15, 24. And I love this. It's Paul talking about all the things that Jesus has come to do. And then he says, after this, and this is the redemption and the fullness and the life of God being poured out on people. After this, then comes the end when the son hands the kingdom back to the father. And this is one of the great pictures for me. After all of our work, after all of the stuff that God does, there's coming a time when the goal of the father's heart happens and that the kingdom of this earth gets handed back to dad and the son and the father and all these great pictures. That's the goal. There's another moment in the New Testament that uses this word telos. It's not about using the word. It's about expressing the reality that's contained in it or pointing to it. And it's on the cross when Jesus Having lived his life, healed the sick, raised the dead, proclaimed the kingdom of heaven, moved through the Galilee preaching and teaching, loved everyone that he had been called to love. On the cross, John 19 records that Jesus was there and he cries out to God, why have you forsaken me? And then he says, it is finished. Telestia, telos, the goal has been accomplished. Not the chronology. There's more work to do. We're still here coming to church, loving people, talking to them about Jesus, demonstrating the reality. We still live in chronology. That's not done. But the goal, what was the goal? What was Jesus' goal? Man, to do everything that his father told him to do. He prayed it in John 17. And then heaven and earth and all these uh, profound pictures of that. But when we say the finished work of the cross, it doesn't mean that there's not more work to do. It means that the goal has come. The purposes of God have been accomplished on earth, and now we get to live into that. And so I'd like to put this all together now as we kind of have a little bit of of language to talk about this. Because it's not an easy thing to live in a chronological world. With an eternal or a teleological perspective. If you want to sound smart, just say teleological. If you want to have an eternal perspective, it's difficult to live in, the, in this chronological temporal world. Have you heard the phrase, you so heavenly minded that you know earthly good? I know, well, I don't know, maybe I'm like that. Uh, but then I kind of counter with, well, you can't be so um, earthly minded that you haven't a heavenly clue. And, and then we get to fight, and it's fun. That's uh, not true. But there's, it, that, that expresses the tension that there is an eternal life. If Jesus didn't actually get raised from the dead, you're pathetic. We're pathetic. We're believing something that is pathetic. It's not a good theological point if it isn't actually real if it's not one day going to completely invade this chronological world then we are wasting our time and we should be pitied but i believe that it is real because i've tasted i've gotten a deposit of the eternal in my life 
I've tasted moments with the Holy Spirit. I've tasted moments when my heart was angry and hurting. And then all of a sudden it's not. Because I walked a healing path or God did something or I've tasted that. When what is eternal intersects the chronological moment in my life. And I have a memory of it. September 22nd, 2005 is a memory of the eternal intersecting the temporal. That if I'm hurting and struggling, I go back to that moment where God touched me and healed me and spoke life to me. And I live in that now. I had a moment in Christmas or New Year's Eve 1999 uh, at Denver Christmas Conference in Colorado for Campus Crusade. And this band, The Late Service, was playing a song. And I'm up front and I'm singing and I'm a lonely, brooding college student. But I'm singing these songs about falling apart in the arms of my father. And then just this peace descends on me. And I'm, I'm out. I'm all weepy. And I'm not being emotional at this point. I'm experiencing God's presence in a way that shook me. And I lead worship today because I have those Kairos moments when I experience an eternal reality touching my mortal body, touching me in time. And I hold on to those things. That's what this table is. That's part of what we want when we come to church, when we seek fellowship and worship with one another. John Wesley called those sorts of things means of grace. That there's things that we do that hold memory and experience of God. And that someone else's kairos can become for us a kairos. Beginning a thing with the end in mind. It's a helpful way to look at it. As we start something, like the Shema teaches us, to start your day like this and to end your day like this, when we begin with the, with the goal in mind, it helps us along the way. It's not start your day with what you're planning on doing at the end of your day, but start your day with the telos, with the goal. Begin your chronological experience with the memory of their eternal does that make sense? I'm saying that a lot. But it's difficult to live in that tension. Adam and Eve had a bit of a time living in that tension when they rebelled. And we rebel on a daily basis, I think. And we step out from God's presence. The scriptures records that angels were stationed on either side of the tree of life and said, guard this tree lest they eat of it and live forever. Because who would want to live forever disconnected from God? And when we step out of connection to God, we're stepping out of eternity into time. That's like, whoa, Star Trek. But think about that for a minute. Eternity isn't lots and lots of time. Eternity is no time. It's not just more of the temporal. It's something else. It's no time. It takes no time at all to worship God forever. Eternity is not our chronological reality. It comes in and touches it, but it's not our chronological reality. And so I'm giving this language and talking about this because I think these are really true about the world and it's hard to understand. Put a little flesh on it maybe for us. We talk some, and I know that, that here we've talked about legacy and what is legacy and leaving a legacy for our children. And legacy for our children is not about amassing as much stuff in your chronological life so that they have at some chronological point in their life money or houses or whatever, homes they didn't build. Though that's important. 
A real legacy is leaving an eternal truth, leaving an eternal reality. And that that eternal reality affects us as we walk through our days. Does anyone ever get scared? Just scared. We sang about that this morning. I could, I could give you some things to be scared about. Have you heard about the border? Ebola? Not to make light of that, because people are really dying. Like, it's a real chronological thing. When we live with only perspective on this earth, it's scary. And the only thing that I've found when I start spiraling in fear around some things that are happening on earth is remembering that my father has said, there is an eternity. And how is my eternity touching your reality now? And so I start asking. I start saying, okay, God, do I need to be concerned about Ebola when I send my daughter to preschool? No, pray for her. Pray for, you know, we start learning that stuff. Um, and so it's important to me, and I'll finish with this here this morning, that, that we have moments where we've encountered God, when heaven's touched the earth in our lives, and we have these kairos moments that we remember, when we start getting frantic and afraid, that we can say, God, you did this. You came. You touched this. You healed this. You set this free. If you don't have something in your life, look to the scriptures. If you have something in your life, look to the scriptures too. The moment in, in, in Luke when the devil takes Jesus up and tempts him, he takes him up and says, he shows him all the kingdoms of this world in a moment in chronology, in a moment in time, it says. It says, if you'll worship me, I'll give you all this. And that's what the enemy wants to do. He wants to show you the kingdoms of this world. And he wants you to trade the eternal reality that God put in you for a moment in this world. For a moment in time. Taking him up on that offer is worshiping him, not God. Focusing on this world and not just heaven. And so it's my great desire that we have Kairos moments in our lives. And that we can have those moments as we take communion. We can have those moments as we pursue the Lord. But there's a reality that unless we've experienced and encountered God on a very real earthly level, somehow, some way, then he's just an idea. And heaven's out here and I'm on earth. But when that collides, it's very, very powerful. And it's what holds us in troubled times. And gives us joy, even in peaceful times. And that's what the Shema is about. The Shema is about remembering where we've come from. Walking day by day in chronology. With the goal in mind of being in the promised land. But then remembering the Kairos moments when God brought us out of Egypt. And saved us from Pharaoh. And gave us water at the rock. And all of those things. That's the story and the purpose of Shema. To hold us in that space. So if the worship team would come back up, I'd like to pray um, and we'll take communion here this morning. Um, so if you guys would pray with me. Father, I thank you that you have not left us to think about you. You have come that we can talk to you and know you. Father, that eternal life can live in our mortal bodies now. Father, and I ask for the places in our lives where we need a touch from eternity 
where all we see is the kingdoms of this world. All we see is what we have to do and what we already know. And we need to do and be and know more than what we've got. So we ask, Father, that you would come and speak life into those places right now. Father, that you would create Kairos moments, a place of memory and hope. I just speak hope, the fullness of hope in this place this morning, of the memory of God touching us, filling us. We honor you, we bless you, in your name we pray. Amen. This morning.